Hey, what's up? How is everybody doing today? Alex Kapitko here, and this is the Centered from Reality podcast. It's Monday, the 2nd, yeah, the 2nd of January. I hope hope your New Year's went well. It's 2023. It's time to make some changes or not make some changes or keep doing the same thing. I, I don't really care what you do, but do something, you know, celebrate the New Year a little bit. It's a Monday, so... I feel like some places still might be closed on Monday, kind of a three-day weekend type of vibe like we had with Christmas, but who knows, so enjoy your day. We went and saw the Packers-Vikings yesterday, so that was fun, always a good time, and back in Chicago, it's actually not too bad here right now. It's in the late 30s, so I guess I can't complain too much. It's, I don't know, it's that time of year here where there's kind of a depressing haze that kind of just lurks around every every corner. So I'm, I'm definitely ready to get back to the West Coast, but for now, all is good. Anyways, a couple things that happened over the long weekend is Pope Benedict died. He was, I believe, like 95. He died on December 31st. So, I mean, it's an old, old guy. So, I mean, he definitely lived a pretty full life. But also, you kind of bet he wishes he made it tonight, you know, to the new year. But anyways... I guess rest in peace to him. He's one of the first pope. I think he is the first pope to ever resign in like 600 years or something like that. Not my favorite guy. He had a lot of scandals on his hands. There's a reason why he resigned. So I'm not going to stick on that because I will not even pretend to be an eth- you know, any type of expert on the Catholic Church. But what I do want to talk about today is progressives attacking Pete Buttigieg, which is kind of refreshing. Andrew Tate being arrested finally because of some sort of Twitter war with Greta Thunberg, a pizza box scandal, and just authorities have been looking for him. Then I also want to talk about the forward party having some failures and why this third party thing doesn't seem to always work out. So we're going to do that. I also probably either tomorrow or the next day, I also want to talk about uh, about Brazil a little bit because Lula, who's Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, he is the new president. He beat Bolsonaro several months ago now. He's kind of been president already, but he's actually going to be sworn in today. So I want to talk about the challenges he's going to face. Congress is chaotic. You have Bolsonaro who went to the United States. There's still conspiracies going on. Some countries don't believe he won. And you have a fiscal crisis growing in Brazil as well. So we'll probably wait till after he's actually sworn in. So I have a day or two to kind of process everything that's happened there. But Brazil's been a pretty fascinating country for a while, and Bolsonaro may be gone, but I think it's a lot like Trump where, yeah, the leader, the head is gone, but you're, you're still going to have significant issues going forward, especially when you had a leader as kind of toxic as Bolsonaro there. So interesting to see. We'll talk about that later in the week. And I do want to start with Andrew Tate. And I've really kind of strayed away from talking about him at all. Like, I know who he is. I talk to people when I'm not recording about him. But I just think he's practically everything wrong with kind of this anti-me-too type of person, kind of the toxic masculinity that drives kind of young male culture. It's not the same as the incel culture. This is kind of like just a toxic masculinity that is very outdated and can be kind of dangerous if it goes unchecked. And I also think... I think Andrew Tate is a perfect example of someone that highlights the rot in our society and kind of just the reactionary culture war 
not as much in politics, but just in the influence it has on young men, especially young men, sometimes young adults as well, and boys as well. And I've heard him on a few podcasts, unfortunately. I had to listen to his kind of cheesy, like, the, the big question with him is, like, he's American, I believe, but he's also British, I believe. And he, like, speaks with this weird kind of accent where it sounds like he's faking a British accent, but I'm not 100% sure what's happening there. But he does kind of irritate me, and he's hard to listen to because he has, I mean, he has an ego the size of the Hindenburg. Seems just like a total ass. He appeals to just a very specific type of person. He's He runs this hustler's university. He's very anti-education, very pro, like, getting what you want, doing what you want no matter what, always talks about being with women that are very young, which is problematic in its own ways, but yeah, several months ago, it looked like he was going to be done because he was taken off pretty much every platform, and he was huge on TikTok, but he was, took a, he was taken off that. Of course, our buddy Elon Musk, who I don't even want to get into that, of course, let Tate back on the platform, and, you know, of course you can have a conversation about should this guy be banned from platforms if you don't like what he's saying. I would probably say yes, just because, as we're going to get into later, he's been detained for human trafficking and rape, and so a guy like that who's kind of been evading arrest or investigation, who's also spewing kind of toxic ideas, I mean, I think it's okay for a private company like TikTok to take him off. I don't know. I don't, like, just have a very solid opinion on that. But, of course, Musk let him back on. That should not surprise anyone. And he has been detained now in Romania, where I guess he's been for a while. And there's a myriad of charges. And his, Oh, that's right. And his brother was detained with him. So they seem like a really fun duo. I encourage people to look up him and his brother. But before I get into the background, I must say that... <laughs> This guy hiding out and or living in Romania since, I think, 2017, 2018 is interesting because if you're getting sanctuary or went to Romania and are no longer welcome back in the U.S. or feel, or you don't feel welcome in the U.S., you probably have some soul searching to do. You've probably done something wrong because maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think Romania is like the bastion of liberty, human rights, stability, but I guess if you're kind of a egomaniac with a criminal record, maybe Romania is the place to go. I mean, it just seems kind of shady that this guy's a former boxer and all that, and that's where he goes, is Romania of all places. So, before he was in Romania, and I guess during his time in Romania, first off, he's a former professional boxer, kickboxer, sorry, but people don't actually know him for that as much. Like, I don't think all the controversy or reasons we're talking about him now is because he's a kickboxer. He's known for his viral rants about male dominance, female submission, and just kind of wealth in general. Like, he's the guy with all the yachts and the expensive cars, smoking cigars on the Amalfi Coast. I'm pretty sure if you just type him in, he's on a boat in the Amalfi Coast. And this guy really thinks he walks on water, like I've said, but... What makes him more problematic, I guess, than other figures in his sphere, kind of like Jordan Peterson, who I think also does have these similar ideas, like males are dominant, women should be submissive, appeal to your darker demons type of thing. The difference with, with someone like Andrew Tate is that he does openly advocate for violence against women, which is just not acceptable at any time like that, and... 
he just seems to have very low opinions of the opposite sex. And I won't even get in this podcast into his views on like non-binary people, but I think you guys could probably assume it's not great. And I didn't really know that much about him until probably six months ago. But then I started seeing friends of mine on Facebook and Instagram and all that calling him out for his toxic views, dangerous rhetoric. Then I started reading about him. And he is, I mean, (laughs) I think the worst part is that on TikTok, before he was taken off TikTok, he had 11.6 billion views. That's with a B. And The Economist writes here, and I think it's interesting, in quotes here, it says, In video clips posted to TikTok, the 36-year-old outlines a worldview that includes his preference for dating only 18- and 19-year-old women, his belief that rape victims should bear responsibility for their assaults, and he also defends Donald Trump's admission in uh, in 2005 that he likes grabbing women by the you-know-what. So this is a guy who is, like I said, kind of anti-Me Too. He's reacting to equity and equality by completely saying, nah, like, let's go the opposite direction. And as I've talked about on the podcast before, you see these type of trends come up, like reactionaries like this that are against any progress or against kind of the way things are changing or the flow of history. The people against this, it's a common thing, but it does arise in kind of a liberalism and reactionary politics. And it also flows into the culture and kind of this idea that Rape is okay because there's some responsibility the women have. Men need to, you know, assert their dominance, all this type of stuff. It's it's common throughout kind of a liberal movements and reactionary movements. But I guess you could understand then why he was taken off these platforms and why some parents were kind of troubled because, you know, he has 11.6 billion views. It's mainly young men, boys, high schoolers watching this. And there were teachers friends of mine that are teachers saying like oh god i have kids in the classroom that like this andrew tate guy and maybe it 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 can help us understand some of the more troubling dynamics in our society i guess and to put more perspective into it i don't think it would surprise you guys that tate is part of a very fun and by fun i mean toxic online ecosystem very chauvinistic He's hung out with the likes of Alex Jones. I don't need to tell you guys who Alex Jones is. Donald Trump Jr. And Paul Joseph Watson, who's someone I'm actually not familiar with. But he's a far-right YouTuber who I've heard is not um, the greatest guy on the planet by any means. And, yeah, I mean, this is kind of his clique, right? Like, this is a guy who's too far-right. Or not even far-right. I don't know if right's the right way to say this. This is a guy who's too extreme for the Joe Rogan podcast. Like... You don't see Andrew Tate coming on the Joe Rogan podcast, which is sort of surprising to me. But, like, that just shows it where, like, even those type of people, like, Jordan Jordan Peterson's on Joe Rogan a lot. And Jordan Peterson probably, if you put him in a room and gave him a strong cocktail, he would probably have some similar views to Tate. But Tate's just, like, so shameless about what he thinks. And, again, there's the Hustlers University thing where it's about making money and doing you know, doing trade jobs, which is kind of fine, but it does seem like sort of a scam in my opinion. And anyways, getting back to Romania. So he moved there in 2017. And the reason was, is that apparently he wanted to avoid, he wanted to avoid investigations into sexual assault cases, which is, which checks out from what I've read about him. And he's quoted as saying here, 40% of the reason for this move was my belief that Romania would be less likely to investigate my sexual assault cases. And I'm a bit confused here, honestly, because it's kind of like information is not completely great on this right now. But apparently he's 
been able to kind of evade investigations into his previous actions while being in Romania. And the Romanian authorities have been kind of trying to build a case against him, but it's taken longer than they thought. And also, I guess he's kind of moved around a lot. So I don't want to lie to anyone here and say that he's been like hiding in Romania. But it did seem like this week was important because the Romanian authorities finally actually are detaining him so the investigation can continue. So it sounds like he's at least been under the radar in Romania. And the way that he actually got in trouble is quite awesome and kind of funny because he got arrested this week because because basically he was in a war of words with Greta Thunberg. You guys know the uh, civil act, or the sorry, not the civil activist, the climate activist, that one, who I'm actually, I mean, I find her kind of annoying, but in this case, I found her amazing. And she tweeted at Tate basically to get a life because he was tweeting showing off his numerous cars and he bragged in, qu- in quotes, their respective enormous emissions are great. I mean, dude, I mean, it's just like he's he, he seems like he just really needs to show off. But anyways, she tweeted at him to, you know, get a life after he was bragging about his fossil fossil fuel cars. And apparently during the Twitter spat, he posted a picture that had a pizza box on it. And some people believe that the pizza box was specific to the location he was at and authorities were able to find him based on the pizza box. Now, I think that's hilarious if it's true, but apparently authorities are saying the pizza box had nothing to do with it. But now Greta did tweet out afterwards and said, this is what happens when you don't recycle your pizza boxes. Because right after this Twitter war, and I remember I was driving with my buddy down to the Bay Area, and the first thing I saw was, Greta Thunberg in a Twitter war with Andrew Tate. And then about an hour later, I see Andrew Tate detained by Romanian authorities. And I'm like, quite interesting timing. So the guy's an idiot. I've listened to enough of him to know that he's an idiot. There's not much upstairs other than just arrogance. And like, I, I truly believe that smarter people, or at least aware people, can't always be just like naively or ignorantly arrogant the way he is like he thinks that he walks on water and like I think when you get to a certain amount of awareness you just can't think you walk on water because you're aware of your faults and this guy does not have that so anyways let's get into what actually happened to him so CNN writes here in quotes controversial personality Andrew Tate and his brother were ordered to be detained for a month on Friday as prosecutors pursued claims of human trafficking and rape Always bad things that you really don't want to be connected with, by the way. And, like, I think that's why, I mean, side note, and I'll I'll stop ranting about this, but it's, like, that's why this guy's problematic is because he's not just someone saying, like, be more direct with women. This is a guy who is being investigated for trafficking and rape, and then he's also saying, like, treat women like second-class citizens, so... But anyways, the article continues, Romania's Directorate for Investigating Organized Crime and Terrorism, which is called DICOT, D-I-I-C-O-T, said the four suspects have been detained for an initial 24 hours. A Bucharest court accepted an application by DICOT to hold Tate and his brother Tristan in custody for a further 30 days. Their lawyer told CNN. And I just wonder, I mean, (laughs) I just wonder what's going to happen here because... Do, do the people that have been close with him that have said he's entertaining or he says some things that are interesting, do these people like completely now say, oh, human trafficking's bad, rape's bad? No, they probably don't. They probably double down and say people are out to get him or he's awesome. Like, 
I don't think the Steve Bannon War Room podcast is just going to go, oh, this guy was human trafficking. He's bad now. And, and I guess that's my issue here is that, you know, the, the right talks about role models a lot. You know, I mean, you have Josh, Josh Hawley out there saying that men need to start, you know, getting with more women and men are wimps now and we need to start like having more relations with women. But the, the problem here is people like Andrew Tate, they're not saying like you should actually find a way to appeal to women. They're, they're being a role model that basically says, be an asshole and be abusive, dangerous and toxic. And I just don't understand why, like, there's people on the right still that actually think this guy is of use. Because if you're trying to create men that are, you know, getting with women, it's not any of the stuff that this guy is doing. That's all I have to say. And, and like I said at the top of this, it just seems like in the post-Me Too world, guys like Andrew Tate have kind of just latched onto this because it works. And you have kind of this crisis, I think, and Richard Reed writes about this well in the Brookings Institution about how there is kind of a crisis for young men in the United States. But again, when you don't have like an actual understanding of what's happening, Andrew Tate fills in for it, right? Like instead of actually talking about why are young men struggling, which it's a fact they are, like it's a dem demographic in the U.S. that is not doing too hot. But instead of talking about that, you have the people like Tate saying just like take responsibility and, you know, date young hot women and get rich and be an ass. And I guess it's just the world we live in, you know, because we have Trump as president, well, we had Trump as president and we have role models in a kind of volatile moment that don't really make me too thrilled about the future. So anyways, moving on. Getting away from that, which actually went longer than I thought. Let me look here. Yeah, that was much longer than I thought it would be, but I guess that's what happens when you don't comment on someone for a while. But anyways, I want to talk about the forward party. That was that party Andrew Yang and the other two whose names who have escaped me have started. I think it still exists. And I wanted to just recommend an interesting article in The Atlantic, and it's called Why I Joined, Then Left, The Forward Party. And it's by Joseph Swartz. And the headline of the article is, in quotes here, the desire to fix the political process doesn't necessarily convey the ability to make change happen. And I think it's an interesting point because I talked about this, oh God, it had to be before I went to Spain and Italy, so probably back in August, I want to say. And I remember my big criticism of the forward party was that they had some pretty good criticisms but the thing is, like, I do a podcast here. I studied political science. Like, I have criticisms of the Democrats, and I have criticisms of the Republicans. But I'm not starting a political party. And from day one, it seemed like the forward party was just a super centrist party that wanted to call out the extremism and try to bring people across the aisle. And, like, that works for someone like me or all the numerous podcasts out there that just want to, like, try to bridge and, you know, try to, you know, play with that enlightened centrist idea a little bit. But to be a party, it's a lot different because wanting to fix the process doesn't actually mean you can do it. And, and you need actually the formalities. You need to be good at those. You need to actually file the right paperwork, which I'll get into in a minute. Apparently they didn't do. Sorry, we got a horn out there back in loud Chicago. Anyways, um, they also apparently... And I've seen this is like with issues like abortion, 
they don't actually offer a third alternative. They basically just try to find the mean and then just say, we are the mean. And it's like, but the problem is, is the mean is not just going to jump to you in terms of voters. Like, they're probably all going to stay on their side of the party. But that's kind of what, what it, it seems like is wrong with the forward party is it's kind of just a tweet or a bumper sticker that's tried to become a political party. And that's just why third parties don't usually work is because you have the left and you have the right. You have the Democrats and you have the Republicans. And it seems like every third party that seems to get some traction is just some sort of like either evolution or spinoff of those two parties. And it just doesn't really work. And getting back to the article, though, I think that I think it does a really good job of explaining some of these issues that I have with the forward party and why why this just rhetorical attack on just like, oh, I'm a moderate and I think abortion should have a turn. There should be limits on abortion, but it's not it's not, you know, right at conception. You can say that on your platform. But what does that mean with policy? And. Basically, there's this guy named Swartz who wrote the article, and he seems to kind of appeal to a, like, I guess he's the type of person that the forward party should have appealed to. He's a veteran, was a lifelong Republican, got turned off, thank God, by Sarah Palin and then Donald Trump, and didn't like the toxic culture wars that the Republicans were putting out. So he went independent, did that for a little bit, and then finally went Democrat. And I personally know a lot of people like that. And it made sense. And then I guess he ran for Congress in a primary before the November midterms. And it was in a deeply red district in North Carolina. And he lost. And he discusses how he really didn't get any help from the Democrats. And he didn't really get any help from the Republicans. And the Democrats just thought he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was just, you know, a secret Republican. And I guess after this loss, he felt just politically homeless. And this led him to looking into the forward party. And he writes about how he decided to join the North Carolina chapter because the policies just appealed to him. And I'll be honest, when I first heard of the forward party, because I've always liked, I've always liked Andrew Yang in theory more than practice. But I was talking to a buddy a few days ago about this. And Andrew Yang is another one of these guys who you don't want to put too much faith into one person or create a cult figure around one person because Andrew Yang is a human. He's not a party and even if you like what he says, it's kind of hard to like mobilize some of the things he was also talking about. So anyways, for the rest of the article, Swartz talks about how basically the House just did not feel in order with not only the North Carolina chapter of the forward party, but also just the general dynamics between the national party and the states that were working together. It kind of felt like, <laughs> and just hear me out, it kind of felt like a shitty fraternity with really bad chapters throughout different states. Like, the communication was flawed, and they were trying to kind of outdo each other, and there were different dynamics going on there. And Swartz just talks about how it was ill-prepared and directionless. And he also discusses that the group seemed to not feel that it needed to abide by what you actually need to do to start a political party. And what I mean is here, they were short to file paperwork, they didn't think they needed to follow kind of the structure of forming a political party. They kind of hoped that the idea of bringing the parties together and being a third option would be enough. And like I said at the beginning of this segment, I just don't think that's enough. Because in this day and age, to actually get people to switch parties, you need to actually be something radical or different. And this is not what they were. And so anyways, in one part of the article, Swartz writes here in quotes, 
One problem is that forward sees itself as so innovative that the normal rules of politics and organizational behavior don't apply. When it launched without any infrastructure, including some essential paperwork that state chapters would need to begin their work, party officials rationalized their lack of readiness by saying that no one had ever done what forward was trying to do. But, as Schwartz writes, multiple parties have tried launching before. The playbook isn't new. And, and, and that's so true. I mean, I worked on numerous campaigns in college, and, and, I, and I've been, I mean, I guess I'm, well, as of last week, I was still a member of the California Republicans and the Orange County Republicans and the Chapman Republicans. And there's a lot of people that always, you know, want to start a third club, and that always moves up to a third party. I mean, if you look at just some of the different parties that have spun out through through history, I mean, you had third parties. I think it was in the 1920s that actually had a significant chunk of the vote enough to like spew state elections in California. Also, you've you've had, I mean, Ralph Nader run. I mean, there's always been third parties that to me just seem like kind of an iteration down the road of either the left or the right. And I mean, the Libertarian Party, for example, when you have like a Gary Johnson running, I mean, he's just like a centrist libertarian that doesn't totally agree with republicans so it's been done before and just schwartz discusses how there was no coordination either between the north carolina chapter and the one he was working with and he just talks about how he had clear ideas and sometimes they would take the ideas other some like other times it just sounds like they didn't even know what was happening and but then again like i think at the end of the article he really touches on something that makes the most sense to me he talks about how for example the party put out a statement about abortion and it refused to really speak to voters and instead just sounded like in my opinion the mumblings of a guy who had too many beers at the bar and was trying to justify his complicated views and Basically, the forward party's platform on abortion, which I think is the best example of why this party won't work, is that they say it's a wedge issue, it's divisive, but also it's one for common ground. I'm going to say that again. It's a wedge issue, it's a divisive issue, but it's also one for common ground. Wedge issues are the things that divide people, folks. Like, wedge issues are not ones that you find common ground on. Like, guns are typically a wedge issue for the right. Like, oh, the Democrats are going to take your guns, so you should vote for the right. Oh, you shouldn't vote for Republicans because they're going to outlaw abortion. Wedge issues are things that, like, inspire people to go out and vote for the other, or not for the other side, but will never vote for the other side. And so the forward party is saying that it's a wedge issue, but we have to find common ground on this. And so one part of the platform on abortion says here in quotes, some of our members will embrace lower limits like 12 weeks or higher limits, like the old row standard of 26. Other members will embrace a different one. So what they're saying is we're going to bring a coalition of some people who are more pro-life, some people are that are more pro-choice, and we're going to make this into a party somehow and find common ground, even though, like, what? Like, I understand that this is where I have a lot of, like, a lot of Americans are here. But this broad and convoluted way that they just want to bring both sides into one party on this when it's an issue that's so divisive is is problematic and states are quite split over it. You just put a forward candidate party in Indiana or Ohio and say, okay, I guess we're good to go. Here's the middle. Again, like this party's putting out bumper stickers, not policies. And they're just virtue signaling to the sender, to, to the center, sorry. And they're trying to be somewhat of an enlightened centrist without the policies. Because 
what is the difference between then being a Democrat at this point? Because the Democrats aren't as radical with abortion as a lot of people think, and the Republicans actually have become pretty radical with abortion. And things could change, but like, what is the difference between having limits but also allowing it? How is that different from the Democrats? So the article is interesting because I think in this era, no one is really effective at devi- at defining issues. Like the Democrats aren't good at defining issues. The Republicans are not good at defining issues. And this is why we're talking over each other. And this is why the culture war has become so toxic and inflamed at every corner. And when the form like when the forward party has these vague bumper sticker ideas and thinks that they're changing the world and they're exploiting hubris about what they can accomplish it's going to backfire because you have to be able to find like to define what you're doing and they're not doing that and i think it could push people away to be honest and we don't hear much about the forward party anymore i'll just say that anyways i think the forward party should probably change the name to kind of the common ground party or the consensus party something like that because look i am not a socialist or a accelerationist or anything like that but forward in the context of a party usually is closer to that than just trying to find consensus so anyways moving on over the last weekend i have covered all the chaos with the winter storms that mainly hit the midwest the south the east buffalo looks like it got royally effed but i also wanted and tragically effed so i I shouldn't make light of that but i also ranted and raved about my favorite airline, my favorite airline in the entire world, and all the extensive issues it faced. And that was Southwest. And by my favorite airline, I mean the one that I have decided I will avoid unless I'm, as a buddy told me, flying, you know, from like, I don't know, LA to Vegas or something. Like, if it's short and sweet, you're fine. But Southwest had a model, has a model for now. (laughs) And that model it tried to sell people as quicker, cheaper, quirkier, and that model is kind of being put into question, I do have to say. And people are angry. People are very angry. And even though the cancellations aren't happening, the chaos does seem to continue. And I just want to go over a few highlights. For example, because of Southwest and their kind of outdated organization scheduling system, Two teachers missed their $4,000 honeymoon cruise after their flight was canceled, and they tried to change it, but they were met with radio silence from Southwest. And I'm sure this story happens a lot. This is just one of the ones I saw when I was researching. Now, this is a really interesting one, is the Nashville International Airport actually had to apologize because of an unfortunate incident, as they called it. And this unfortunate incident basically involved airport police threatening to arrest Southwest passengers for what they said was trespassing because let's just be honest, their flights were canceled and the people were hanging out there later than expected and the airport police were going to arrest them for trespassing. So, I mean, we're going full circle here to just insanity, Lord of the Flies, if we wait much longer for this. But it's pretty bad when the people are just left by their airline in an airport and they're there because from what I've heard, a lot of hotels were completely booked as well around the airports. So people are hanging out there. And then the police come in and say, oh, yeah, we might have to arrest you for trespassing. Southwest has a lot to answer for. There's even reports 
that because of the different cancellations or flight changes or delays or whatever, some other airlines are even price gouging passengers that had to change. So that's nice. And I just don't know how this lets up. And, you know, going on, though, anyways, last week I expressed some criticism towards Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, or formerly known as Mayor Pete. And I criticized him last week because I don't think he's done enough. And, of course, not all of this is his fault. Like, Southwest, I think, has more blame than Pete. But Pete has dealt with similar issues over the summer, involving a lot of cancellations and delays during the 4th of July period. And he really didn't do much there either. He also, like, was kind of the head of the transportation department during the railroad strikes, what, about three weeks ago? I think, like, four or three weeks ago. And now this, and he just doesn't seem to have a good grip on leadership, I think is my issue. It's less like everything's his fault, but it's more that he's not being a great leader. And a lot of people were saying, oh, it's only the right, it's only Fox News, it's only like Titus or whatever he is on Greg Gutfeld's show who's criticizing uh, what's happening there. But over the weekend, it looks like progressives are also going after Buttigieg over the Southwest fiasco, if we want to call it that. I mean, that's the best thing to call it. And The Hill has a good article on this issue. It notes here in quotes, Representative Ro Khanna, the Democrat from Silicon Valley, a leading left-wing lawmaker on Capitol Hill, took to Twitter on Thursday to question the Transportation Secretary's handling of the debacle and the department in general that left travelers deserted and frenzied and, administ and, and, and administration officials scrambling. First, I, I should just add that I am a fan of Ro Khanna, generally speaking, for a lot of reasons. And while his politics are definitely too left for me in a lot of ways, I think he does have just a great understanding about how inequality, technology, partisanship, and populism are all kind of intertwined. And I encourage you to check out my episode, I think it was from last spring, or just to look into him in more detail, where, you know, he and I have, I mean, in different times have discussed what he plans to do in trying to bring tech manufacturing jobs back to the Midwest and to places like West Virginia, for example, or Kansas or Missouri. And he just believes there's a huge digital divide, and we could really try to fill that. So anyway, this is not about Rokana as much as this is about other things. So anyways, Congressman Khanna put out a fairly accurate tweet, in my opinion. And it reads, Nearly six months ago, Bernie Sanders and I called for Buttigieg to implement fines and penalties at airlines for canceling flights. Why were these, why were these recommendations not followed? This mess with, South, with Southwest could have been avoided. We need bold action. And I, like to go into further detail, back in June, when we saw those cancellations during or close to, I think it was before the 4th of July weekend, Bernie Sanders put out a recommendation that said that the airlines should be forced to compensate them for canceled or significantly delayed flights and to cover passengers' expenses like food and accommodations. And doesn't that sound crazy? Oh, airline messes you over, Fs you over. They should actually help you out because now you're spending a bunch to like change your life. I'm sorry if you're, you know, I have to say when I was in Copenhagen, I had a delay there because of a storm and I had to spend the night in Copenhagen. I had to miss a few days of work in Madrid and Norwegian Airlines, which is by no means a luxury airline, no offense, Norwegian, but they put me up in a Hyatt by the airport, gave me meal vouchers, and pretty much covered entirely everything. I was mind blown about that. 
And I actually made friends while I was there because all of us were kind of became, you know, comrades on the plane because all of us had this canceled flight to Madrid. We all, you know, kind of connected on some were teaching English, some spoke Spanish, some were traveling, whatever. But Norwegian took advantage of, I mean, not sorry, not took advantage of us, took advantage of the situation to make us happy. And I slept in a great Hyatt room and they gave me meal vouchers and I didn't pay anything. I guess I got a beer, which wasn't covered. So I guess I did pay for that, but you get the point. And here you're, in, in contrast, you're having people in the airport getting threats of being arrested because the airline just left them standing in the terminal and the airport's closing. And I just think that Kana and Sanders are right because I don't think Buttigieg has done enough to combat this industry that's just being not only unfair but also deceptive. I mean, like what they do when they overbook flights where they, they oversell seats. I mean, why do they do that? And this isn't even talking about when there's a storm hitting. And I think this is somewhat interesting. And I think this whole phenomenon with like the Tucker Carlson's and the Rokanas calling this out, I think it's interesting because this is kind of that horseshoe effect that we see in politics more and more lately. I've discussed it a bit because you have progressives call on Buttigieg to do more. And we've also seen more populist conservatives, the Tucker Carlson's, the Fox News hosts, call on Buttigieg as well. And I think it's a simple talking point to say, oh, it's just the right who's hating on Buttigieg and blaming him. It's like, no. I mean, Americans travel right, left, center, socialist, anarchist, whatever. And getting back to the stuff, though, is that what does irritate me here? is that not only have officials been sounding the alarm for months, and I think that's where Buttigieg should have done more, but it also seems like the real, like the federal government is really good at giving these airlines special treatment, or at least looking away. And David Sirota, who's definitely way more left than me, he actually writes for the for the Jacobin. He's a smart author, political communist, or <laughs> communist Freudian slip, political columnist. And he actually was a writer and editor for Don't Look Up, that Leo DiCaprio movie. But he has a good point in the newsletter. I think it's on Substack. He wrote in quotes here, For months, state law enforcement officials of both parties have been sounding alarms about airlines mistreating their customers. But because of a four-decades-old federal preemption law, those officials cannot take action to protect customers even as airlines have benefited from billions of dollars of government support, and even as federal regulators have refused to use their power. And if you go into that in more detail, there's some troubling things there. And I should also note that companies like Southwest, while they're definitely protected from the same like scrutiny that you would see from an average like small business or an American company, and I understand why that. You do want to protect your... You, you do want to protect specific industries. I understand that. But at the same time, when companies like Southwest get billions of dollars in bailouts from taxpayers and still just don't really do even what they're recommended to do, you just have this perfect mixture of greed and incompetence. And I don't know if anyone, and this is maybe some defense for Pete Buttigieg a little bit, is that I don't know if Mayor Pete can really do anything. And I don't think he's trying to mess this up, but it seems to me that he's not prepared to deal with these issues. And a spokesperson for the Department of Transportation has said they will hold Southwest Airlines accountable, including pursuing fines against the carrier if there is evidence that the carrier has failed to meet its legal obligations. 
And I'll believe it when I see it, because Buttigieg does the ABC shows, he talks about what they're doing better, and nothing changes. And the thing is, is that, like, this is where I'm not a libertarian. I don't think the airline industry will fix itself. It needs to have rules. Sometimes airline industry, like, some industries do need to be left alone, but when there's only one option, and it seems to be just completely deceiving passengers and consumers... I have an issue, and I think that's where the government is supposed to step in. And what I would do here, because I know it's going to be difficult, but there's a few things I would do. So I know some people that I've talked to even recently who have canceled or had to cancel their flights after Southwest issues. And I think that these airlines should let passengers know their rights and make sure that they can get a refund. Because a lot of airlines are stingy and don't want to give you a refund. So they make it very hard to know if you can get a refund. And a lot of people, if they cancel on the app or cancel before the airline's actually canceling the flight, they're given a voucher and not a refund. And a voucher is kind of the deal with the devil because that means you have to come back to the airline. And if I was one of these people stuck for days because of Southwest or missed a wedding or whatever else, I wouldn't want to fly that airline again. And it should not happen first where they offer you a voucher. That is deception. They should offer you a refund because I believe it's legally obligated that they have to offer you one if your flight has canceled beyond limited ramifications. And I also think that when you do this as well, there need to be penalties for Southwest so that they actually start listening to recommendations and they don't keep doing the same thing. Like there need to be fines. And this is where I kind of stray away from the small government stuff is I think if you have a monopoly or an oligopoly, you do need to put pressure on them to do the right thing because consumers don't have other options. Like it would make sense if there's like 50 different planes 50 different airlines like there's a really cheap one and a really expensive one and you can pick your poison but when they're all pretty much the same price and only one goes to the city you want to go to on the day you want to at the time you want to and then they cancel your flight no we need to regulate that i'm sorry and so i think it's nice that i i do agree with the progressives on this i i really do and i think it's good they're calling them out so Anyways, that is the end of this New Year's, the first episode of the new year, 2023. Take care of yourself. I'll be back tomorrow and take care. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, you know the rest. Adios.